Welcome to the Pivot Podcast. Join us each week as we bring you something new. Interviews with experts and inspiring guests and panel discussions where we'll bring in diverse perspectives about trending business topics. Whether you're seeking inspiration or a way to reframe your future, we're glad you're joining us for this week's episode of Pivot. Welcome to the Pivot Podcast. My name is Alexandra Balistrieri, and I'm here with my Pivot Discovery co-founder and Pivot co-host, Kimberly Tilly. And today we are continuing our series where we profile certain strengths. StrengthsFinder is an assessment based on a 40-year study created by the Gallup organization, and it's a common language of 34 talents humans have organized into four domains. For more information about StrengthsFinder, check out our season two kickoff episode with executive coaches and strengths experts, Monique Betty and Judy Spears. Today's strength is restorative from the executing domain. Strengths in this domain help individuals get things done. So people with, with strengths in this area are always pushed toward action. This is an internally facing strength and restorative ranks number eight in the world population. As you'll see, the same strength can be used very differently from one person to the next, influenced by their other strengths, their values, their environment, and much more. And today we brought together a panel, all of whom have this strength in their top five, to talk about how they use the strength in their lives. Starting with Dan, can you introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are? Yeah, thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Dan Imamoto. I am a product manager and marketing operations here in uh, the Bay Area. I currently live in San Francisco in the outer sunset. And in whatever free time I have, I enjoy working on my car, which is a 99 Miata, uh, going hiking with my wife around the area and spending time with my fur kids. I have two cats and one dog. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Dan. And how about you, Harpreet? Could you tell us a little bit about who you are? Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Harpreet Singh, and my background is in project management and consulting. And I currently live on the East Coast and looking forward to spending some time with you guys today. Thank you. And we're looking forward to learning more about how each of you use this strength. Alexander, could you give us a quick refresher about the restorative talent? Definitely. So people with the restorative strength solve problems, but they go far beyond putting a Band-Aid on things. They think about what was this thing intended to be and bring it back to its purpose. Restorative analyzes situations to identify what is not working and then quickly recognizes the problems others don't see. They're energized by problem solving and readily take on projects others see as unsalvageable. They teach others how to work well with or within the restored project in a healthy way so it's unlikely to re-break again. I love the restorative strength. Just on a personal note, if there is one strength that I don't have that I wish that I did, it would be restorative because it's like having the ability to bring things back to life. So Harpreet, can we start with you? How does this description resonate with you? And when do you notice that you're using your restorative strength? Sure. Yeah, I think being a project manager, you're often brought in to turn projects around. So, you know, I'm definitely, that definitely resonates in terms of there are problems and 
people just need someone to come in and solve the problem. And I, I kind of see myself as a problem solver and going into situations that other people, you know, are not motivated to be involved in or just feel like it's uh, overwhelming. And so that's where, you know, my background in consulting comes in as well is being the fixer, being the person kind of takes a situation that's messed up and puts back on track. You're right. Most people, if something looks a little bit too overwhelming, they don't even try. So having this ability to to look beyond that and find a way to solve it, or even being energized by that is is really unusual and, and it's such a terrific strength. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? It definitely resonates with me. The description that Alexandra read. And when I think about sort of who I am and how I work, my, my real big drivers are ideation and, and restoration. And so these really get to the, the core or the heart of how I like to work and think. I like to look at the big picture, look at the macro, and then zoom down into the micro, and then go back up and notice these connections between the two, as well as also I'm really energized by taking something that is may not be working exactly as an intended or may not be meeting the needs of sort of whatever program we're working on. And sort of taking that and bringing it back or restoring it back to that original intent. Something that was mentioned that made me chuckle a little bit around uh, projects that other people may have abandoned. I, I think we can tell from, from the way I talk and sort of how I've been talking, I bring a lot of energy, but I'm also, tr- I'm also intentionally pathologically optimistic. Nothing is beyond saving. Nothing is beyond restoring, right? You can always, with enough elbow grease and enough thought and enough buy-in, kind of bring anything back. I, I love the descriptor of pathologically optimistic. <laughs> That's wonderful. Does that sound familiar to you too, Harpreet? Do you kind of start with the macro, zoom down to the micro, and then back up again? Is that how you do it as well? Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I think that, you know, in order to, I think part of being restorative is also understanding how something fits within the big picture and realizing that something is broken and how it affects the overall big picture. It's not just that one little piece or system or process. You know, the the idea about being optimistic, you know, I think there is something to that in terms of not giving up so easily. I'm noticing some common themes here of being the fixer or the person that has the ability to put things on track. And what you guys said is you're just really energized by restoring something back to maybe its original intent or its original state. Kind of like how how Dan said that he likes to work on his car in his free time. So Dan, how has the restorative strength benefited you personally or professionally? It's like my job. It's uh, on a personal or on a professional level. Um, it's it's a strength that I lean heavily into on my in my day-to-day role. Um, in marketing operations especially, we're focused on systems, processes, workflows, and there's always an opportunity to either get better or um, to continue furthering the, the never-ending quest for perfection, right? I firmly believe it, it's probably never going to happen. You're never going to reach like perfection and everything, but um, you always sort of strive for it. If you shoot for the, uh, the uh, sun and you land on the moon, that's a win. On a personal level, how has it benefited me? It 
it's kind of a double-edged sword uh, because I do it so much or I leverage the strength so much in my professional life that on a, on a personal level, there are times where it can kind of go into overdrive and I start like looking for, for other things to like putz around with or fix um, at home. But uh, by the same token, it's, it's given me some of my most, most uh, rewarding hobbies. So working on my, uh, as I mentioned, 99 Miata, um, as well as also just um, building things in the backyard, refurnishing or redoing furniture. Um, there are no, there are no projects or, or sort of home, home repair projects that can't be solved with a few hours of YouTube and enough elbow grease. <laughs> I love that. And how about you, Harpreet? Yeah, I would agree with Dan that, you know, one of my values is progress, not perfection. I think that certainly, you know, you can strive for, for perfection, not always attainable. And I call myself a recovering perfectionist. But, you know, as I've gotten older and more experienced, I realize it's more about making progress, whether it's small incremental changes or larger, more impactful transitional changes. And that also helps all the stakeholders too, right? When there's a sense of moving forward and things getting fixed, even again, if it's, it's something small, you start to get the buy-in from different stakeholders and they start seeing the transformation and they start th- seeing movement forward. And I think that's where you start gaining momentum and as well as buy-in from the organization to keep moving forward. So I think that's also important for everyone to feel that their work is actually resulting in something and they can see the progress in front of them. Thank you so much for sharing. So people with the restorative strength tend to dislike environments where a problem can't be acknowledged and thus it can't be fixed. So I'm wondering if that resonates with either of you and if so, what type of situation would that be and and how would you react? So Dan, have you been in a situation or an environment where problems aren't acknowledged? Yes. I think uh, all of us in in our career probably had to deal with some degree of cognitive dissonance or some of those little or smaller problems um, that just can't be acknowledged or or sort of discussed. They're they're just a byproduct of either the circumstance or or the the situation. I have to go back into my archive pretty far because I don't want to talk about any of my my more recent employers. But I used to work retail when I was uh, right out of high school and, and in college. And the, the level of cognitive dissonance that you have to have in those sorts of circumstances were, were, was pretty high. For example, our, our cash register system, the, the actual system we interacted with, this was in the mid uh, 2000s, like 2005 to 2010, was running on a 1989 version of MS-DOS. They like barely <laughs> like we're talking you have to do backslash and like hit things that you never use on a keyboard now it was like programming <laughs> language just to ring up a sale <laughs> and if you bring that up to, to leadership or to management they'd say well that's you know it's not in the budget or that's not the most important concern for the company because they didn't they didn't view it as an important strategic thing that they had to do operationally to update those systems so I'm imagining for somebody with restorative, that was pretty demotivating. Uh, yes, you can say that again, which is also why my current title is not anything retail related. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a great example. Harpreet, what about you? Have you ever been in a situation where people just can't acknowledge that there even is a problem to be fixed? And if so, how, how do you react to something like that? Yes, similarly, I you know I think I've experienced that in almost every situation I've been in, and you know I, I'm the kind of person where I'm very open and transparent. And part of the reason people bring me in is because I am open and transparent. I'm not afraid of change, and I'm not afraid of talking about issues and bringing them to the forefront, and not necessarily in an accusatory way, but more in a hey, this is the problem let's all get together and fix it. Whereas I think a lot of people personalize their problems and internalize things and, you know, it becomes a personal issue if you start asking someone or talking about some issue that they're having in their organization. And so that's where you have to really rely on your political and diplomatic skills to figure out where are the boundaries for this person and how do you achieve your goals if they're not even willing to admit that there is a problem. I can think back to one example where they wanted a large transformational initiative affecting the entire organization, which is a couple of thousand people, but they didn't want to look at any of their business processes. They wanted to change their systems. They wanted to change their procedures, but they didn't want to look at how they did business. Well, all of this is related, right? You can't change one thing without affecting others. And so we internally, we decided that we would address the problems without really mentioning the word business process, because that just became an ugly term and it really was triggering for the organization. And so it became this highly orchestrated dance about how do we talk about these problems and these deficiencies without actually using certain words and certain keywords that were really triggering for people. So it's not like you just had to solve the problem, but you had to solve the problem of being able to talk about the issue itself. I 100% agree with you about the diplomacy being the solution there. And it's just funny to me that there's that extra layer of work that somebody who's a consultant would have to do to be able to even get to the problem to address it. Yes, because you need their input, right? We, we couldn't move forward without their involvement and their input. And if you said certain things or if you wanted to talk about the business process, they would immediately shut it down. So that's not going to get you anywhere. So how do you build a construct around that where they feel motivated to participate and to provide their input? Because they have valuable input, right? Nothing's going to get done without their input. So how do you build that, that structure around that? constraint because that that constraint isn't going anywhere Absolutely. and and that's just the reality of of business there's always going to be constraints uh, sometimes the constraint is financial sometimes the constraint is you know layoffs and sometimes the constraint is other things that are a little more nebulous and more difficult to get around that's such a terrific example thank you it really is it's it's also a classic example of maybe people kind of dancing around certain issues and it's hard to solve the problem and really be objective about things if you can't, you know, use keywords or really, you know, dig down and say you're looking at business processes when, you know, you are, but you might have to use different words to discuss it. So coaches often talk about underused or overused skills. 
An underused skill typically just means you don't have to create the opportunities to use that strength. Where an overused strength may be relied on to the point where they aren't beneficial any longer. So people who are overusing the restorative strength might appear nitpicky, for instance. Yeah, I would um, definitely agree with that statement. I think there are times where I can fall too much into that that side of sort of the you know every I always say every coin has has two sides, right? And sometimes a strength can be a positive and then it can always turn into a negative. And I think that's why I call myself a recovering perfectionist because I think I used to be really nitpicky and hypercritical and I wanted everything to be perfect. And I realized that sometimes I was getting in my own way with that perspective because not everyone is a perfectionist and not everything has to be perfect. Sometimes, you know, you're not, sometimes a B plus is good enough. It doesn't have to be an A plus on everything. You know, I think I just learned that over time and experience and maturity. So I think that's something to, whatever strength you have, it can always turn into a negative. And I think that's just something that a person has to be self-aware about and be able to self-manage. That's an excellent answer. And have you ever felt like you needed to manage your restorative strength, Dan, either by like finding opportunities to use it or by relying on it less or relying on your other strengths more? I've definitely noticed in my career that um, the restorative strength in overdrive, similar to what Harpreet had mentioned, can appear that either being nitpicky or in my experience, it's that I'm looking for problems or I'll occasionally skip a step and jump into troubleshooting before aligning with my stakeholders that there is a problem. And so in some cases, my audience may not see the same problems that I see or not see even sort of what I'm what I'm trying to communicate. And there have been instances where I've jumped into problem solving before my audience kind of got there. Um, and that's what I've, I've viewed as uh, the strength of kind of being in overdrive in those situations. So I have had to, to kind of rein it in a little bit and try to try to ensure at least that I'm, I'm performing more of the Socratic method uh, with my audience, asking them questions, asking them sort of some of the questions that brought me to my insights of where I'm trying to fix something uh, to bring them along in sort of the way that I think. That's really an interesting method of, of managing that with the Socratic method. And I think that that's one of those challenges that's unique to restorative where people feel like they're just looking for problems or they're just looking for something that's wrong. And really for most people with restorative, they're really looking at how to make things successful and just thinking a few steps into the future and trying to head off problems before they get there or solve small problems before they become disasters. And it's one of those things though that people with restorative often have to cope with. Yeah, I just wanna jump in. I mean, Dan, when you were describing that, I really resonated with that because I've been guilty of that so many times myself where I immediately just jumped into problem solving mode. And um, I think I'm being helpful. And, you know, there have been a few times where it has been helpful, but then there are a few times when my stakeholders have sort of been taken aback by that because they don't see the problem the way I did, or they didn't, you know, maybe it's not a problem that they wanted to solve. So I, it's nice to hear you say that because I thought, it's, uh, I didn't realize I was the only person. Thank you. And I, 
you're not. Uh, similar to the way that you also <laughs> described, like the way people people can emotionally react to it. That's the other one of the other insights you you mentioned that really resonate with me as well. That um, when we're we're focusing on the ideal outcome or the the ideal state that we want to get to, um, sometimes folks can internalize that feedback as like, we're calling Kim to your point, the baby ugly. Um, when in reality, <laughs> we're, we're trying to trying to make it better, right? Like it's not about, it's not a personal attack on someone else or on their work, right? We're all imperfect creatures and we're all just doing the best we can with what we have. Absolutely. And you're just really trying to help get things better. You're not critiquing, like you said, in any way. So I would love to go around the room and if you guys could share a tip on how to successfully interact with people, whether it be at work or someone that you might live with who has the restorative strength in their top five. Uh, Dan, why don't we start with you? For me, I think, especially when it comes to work, giving for me, one of the key things when I think about my, my restorative element here is giving me the space to, to think and to voice my ideas or voice my observations in, in kind of a, a free area. Um, and I'm thinking specifically around some of my small team dynamics, right? Uh, as a group, it's an open space that we can have these sorts of dialogues and, and talk about like, what are, what are some of the big issues? How can we solve them together as a team? Do we all agree that these are, are the big issues? I've noticed for, personally, I feel most demotivated or I feel most unengaged with my work when those sorts of forums aren't, aren't available or aren't, 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 aren't there, as well as also in those forums, if you don't feel heard or listened to right? You, you don't have to act on every, because I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of ideas and I, you know, I look at everything um, and I know that and I, I know I bring a lot of ideas. So for me, it's, it's important to feel heard and listened to while also the other thing for someone who's managing someone with it, with my kind of energy or restorative strength is making sure that I stay focused on sort of what the most important, uh, priority is or what the most important project is, because I have so many different ideas in different directions I can go to try to problem solve something. Um, I can oftentimes get pulled into rabbit holes that may not be the most important thing at the time. Yeah, could I ask you, when you say it's important for you to feel heard and, and for you to understand that other people have heard what you're saying, is that, could that just be acknowledging that? Is that because I'm just curious as somebody who does not have restorative, but often works with somebody with restorative, how would I be able to make you feel heard? Acknowledge and give me a, or give me, <laughs> or give, <laughs> give those, those people the best answer you have, right? Uh, or try to explain okay. why behind it. The, the, the most unsatisfying things that happened and, and, or have happened to me in my career, similar to my example around the retail experience I had, I, I was heard, they, they heard me and they said, yeah, but it's not a priority. Like it's not important now. This is not okay. the most important thing to the business. Um, and that wasn't super satisfying as an answer. Like it didn't address the underlying question I had. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that is a really interesting point. And um, Harpreet, I'd love to know, like if you, got, if you could also share a tip with us and kind of like, referring back to Dan was saying, do you also feel like you need that space, that safe space 
for you to be able to voice your opinions and feedback and feel like you're being heard? Yes, I mean, I, I you know, I definitely can relate to that. I think that um, part of my problem solving process is to be able to engage with people and collaborate and and have that exchange of ideas. I definitely have ideas and I bring my own, you know, thoughts and, and solutions to a situation, but I, I, I like to collaborate and I, I want to hear what other people are thinking. And I'm a very open and transparent person. And I get really demotivated when I work with people who aren't open and transparent. And so to me, that's difficult and challenging for me because I don't, I don't personalize things. If I build something and someone wants to destroy it, it doesn't hurt me. That doesn't bother me. Whereas I know other people are not the same. And so I think that's where, for me, I find it challenging because, you know, I'm not afraid to change, you know, to me, change is just inevitable. And a lot of, I've worked in a lot of situations where people are afraid of change. They don't like change. And so it makes them less transparent and less open. And so then that becomes a challenging environment for how do you make progress when people are protecting their turf, if you will. And so for me, I find it challenging to be successful in those environments because I feel like the strengths I bring aren't really a good fit for that type of culture. thing that you said that I think is highly perceptive is you said, if I build something and somebody else wants to destroy it, restorative people come with the idea of healing things or optimizing things. But the way that it's often received from the people that they're trying to help is like they're, they're tearing something that I'm doing down or they're attacking it or destroying it. And I think that it goes back to what you were saying earlier about that need for diplomacy and the need to prepare the way before you can even address the problem. Dan, based on what Harpreet is saying, does that, does that resonate with you as well? Because I'm curious if this is something that most people with restorative encounter. Yeah. So one thing that, that stood out for me in, in what Harpreet had said around the interpersonal and the emotional and, and political to a certain extent nature of, of the way that this works, um, I definitely also don't, don't treat it personally. Um, we're all on a never-ending quest for perfection, right? Like that's my, my feelings aren't, are, are separate from the how, um, how optimally something is working, right? If I design a system and or implement a system and it ends up falling flat on its face within, within a couple months, um, one, that means I probably didn't listen to, to some of the stakeholders that I'm working with, but two, um, it just means that you go back and build a bear mousetrap. <laughs> in terms of the way that other folks will, will interpret or and internalize, I think that definitely is a risk with the restorative skill that you can it, you can be perceived as antagonistic because you are you are suggesting other ways of potentially um, improving something, and that's usually where the heart of the 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 feedback and and sort of the spirit of what we're trying to do. In terms of destruction versus creation, sometimes you have to destroy things to create things. So I, I don't see them as as in conflict, but I, I I can understand why someone's feelings could get hurt, right? If you're taking somewhat what a project that someone spent a lot of time thinking and and working on, and then changing it or altering it, uh, that can seem like a dr a dramatic change, right? That they may not necessarily agree with. 
I had the good fortune to know both of you. And I'm looking at some of your other strengths and seeing how Harpreet, for instance, you have Relator in your top five and Dan, you have a ranger and both of those would tend to go toward being reassuring and soothing and being able to manage the people side. And it sounds to me like both of you are really good at switching back and forth between your strengths so that you're able to, to manage these changes that you need to make. Yeah, I think for me, I, what I really, what I've realized is you have to pave the road before you ask people to walk down it. And sometimes paving the road is more effort intensive and time consuming. But then once you do that and prep people for that path, you want them to walk down, it becomes much easier for them. And then that happens quickly, but you can spend a lot of time on the prep, a lot more time than you maybe initially thought. And I think that's been a big learning for me over the years is that prep time to get people comfortable with the change that's coming. Because if you spend the time up front, then people will be more comfortable with what they're being asked to do. You have to pave the road before you ask people to walk down it. That's really, really, I like that. That's very insightful. Thank you. This has been a great show. I hope our listeners benefited as much as I did from today's conversation. Our guests today have been Harpreet Singh and Dan Imamoto. More information about the show and about our guests is available in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference in the number of people who see and listen to the show. Yes, please do rate and review us. And thank you guys so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week when we'll highlight a new strength. And that will do it for this week's episode of the Pivot Podcast. Join us next week for a brand new show and another exciting panel. We'll see you then.